Gundog by Gary Whitta. Chapter 4 Over the next few days, Dakota found herself furtively watching the strange newcomer. The morning after his arrival, he had emerged from his barracks wearing newly issued uniform coveralls, but even dressed in the same outfit as everyone else, his behavior set him apart. Dakota began to form a picture of someone who had been in mech captivity for a long time. Not because he was particularly cowed or compliant, quite the opposite but because he seemed so familiar with the rhythms and routines of township life, and in particular, how the mech regulated and policed them. He knew exactly how long he could lie idle or how far he could stray before attracting the attention of an observer, and he used that knowledge to make himself known around the township very quickly. In fact, in just a few short days, he must have introduced himself to almost a hundred different workers. Most people shrugged him off, for fear of attracting unwanted attention. But that was what was so strange about it. Why was he making the effort at all? New arrivals typically kept their heads down, at least for the first few weeks, until someone else, usually a more veteran worker, made the first approach. Yet this man was casually making the rounds like he'd been here forever. Dakota didn't know what to make of it, but she suspected it couldn't be anything good. From time to time, a worker would arrive who ingratiated themselves with others, then reported to the mech what they had learned in exchange for preferential treatment. A spy, essentially. But if that was what was going on here, the man was being unusually brazen about it. Not that it mattered, because it wasn't really what was bothering her about him anyway. What bugged her was that she couldn't take her eyes off him. He wasn't like anyone she'd ever seen. Inside the fence or outside. Few people made her feel nervous or self-conscious. But something about him did. The way he carried himself, confident but guarded, gave the sense that even while he was hard at work, his mind was somewhere else entirely. Dakota supposed that in that way, he was much like herself. But whereas she knew why she was so often distracted, his motivations remained a mystery, and that was what he was to her. One. Big. Mystery. By now, Dakota's roof assignment was completed, but she had managed to get herself another job where she was able to keep her eye on Sam. She had taken charge of the tool shed where workers in this section checked out whatever they needed for the day's labor. It was her responsibility not only to ensure no tools went missing, but to keep those tools in good repair. The shed was located close enough to Sam that she could see him, at a distance, working in his little plot of garden, and as an added bonus, he was required to come to her at the start and end of every day to check his tools in and out. Sometimes he'd even fake a problem with a hoe or a rake, creating an excuse to see Dakota and get it replaced. She appreciated these little efforts he made to check in with her whenever he could. The new assignment also allowed her to listen in on gossip and to make a few discreet inquiries. And it was in this way that Dakota learned the strange newcomer's name. Falk. He had gotten himself a job as a water carrier, which meant he walked around their section of the township with a 10-gallon tank strapped to his back, 
dispensing water to thirsty workers from a hose that extended from it. It was a job nobody wanted, hauling around such a heavy load, particularly in this hot weather, which countered the idea that he was collaborating with the mech in exchange for favors. But it did very conveniently facilitate what appeared to be Falk's apparent goal of talking with as many township workers as possible. Exactly one week after his arrival, she was seriously considering setting her nerves aside and asking him what he was up to. But then he made the decision for her, at least indirectly. While she was at her shed, checking out a pipe wrench for an irrigation worker, she saw Falk speaking with her brother, and that was all the nudge she needed. She still had no idea what the man's plan was, but if there was any possible danger to it, she didn't want Sam anywhere near him. So she left her shed and jogged over to them, still clutching the pipe wrench just in case Falk needed to understand that she meant business. She found Sam and Falk in the middle of what sounded like harmless small talk. Hey, Dak, said Sam. What are you doing over here? He looked around for drones. She was out of her designated area, and the mech would soon be here to jolt her back to work. I don't want you talking to him, Dakota said. We don't know who he is. Let's fix that, said the newcomer. Hi, I'm Falk. He extended his hand. Dakota just glared at it. An uneasy silence fell over them both, until Sam saw fit to break it. This is my sister, Dakota, he said. I call her Dak. Nice to meet you, Dak, said Falk. He seemed utterly unfazed by Dakota's unwelcoming demeanor. I was just asking Sam what happened to his arm. She was about to tell him to leave her brother the hell alone when a mech observer approached. She raised her hands to acknowledge its authority and started walking back to the tool shed, glancing behind her to make sure the drone was moving Falk along too. At the end of the workday, when Dakota was making sure all of the tools that had been checked out that morning had been checked back in, a rap sounded at the door. She swung around to find Falk standing there in the open doorway, silhouetted against the waning daylight. You and I need to talk, he said. It took Dakota a moment to respond, and even then the words got caught in her throat. This man made her nervous in ways she didn't understand, and that scared her. No, you need to go back to your barracks if you don't want to get jolted, she said. There'll be a mech here any second. Actually... We have about 25 seconds, he said. I need to know what happened to your brother's arm. Did the mech take it? Dakota struggled to find words again. None of this made any damn sense. What? No, he lost it in an accident. Why would the- Who are you? She saw the mech drone coming now, off in the distance. At the rate it was moving, it was about 15 seconds away. Falk's prediction had been surprisingly accurate. Do you remember if Sam had a tattoo? Falk asked, on the inside of his forearm. He tapped his right sleeve to indicate where he meant. That stopped Dakota cold. How the hell? How do you know that? She asked. The drone was about ten seconds away now. Falk didn't look around, but surely he could hear it coming. Still, he didn't move. Because I have it too, he said, rolling up his sleeve. Dakota's mouth fell open. There on his forearm was an abstract diagram, a haphazard assemblage of lines and dots, to anyone else, it would have been meaningless, but it shook Dakota to the core, because she had seen that exact same tattoo many times before, on the inside of her brother's right forearm, before he lost it in the steel press. What? What is it? She asked, her voice shaking. The drone was just seconds away, its jolt prod crackling. Still, Falk refused to move. It's a map, he said, rolling his sleeve back down. A map to what? 
liberation. And that was the last thing he said before the mech jolted him in the back and he fell to the ground, his body twitching. All Dakota could do was watch in silent shock as the drone grabbed him and hauled him away. Another restless night followed. How was Dakota supposed to sleep after that? She had so many questions, and no chance of getting answers until tomorrow, when she'd see Falk again. Hopefully. If the mech decided to move him to another section. How strange, she thought, that she had come to view Falk so differently, and so quickly. In the space of just a few days, she had gone from feeling intrigued by him, to being suspicious of him, to thinking of him as a possible danger to her family. And now she was lying awake, counting the hours until she could talk to him again. There was nothing she hated more than an unsolved riddle, and Falk with several of them rolled into one. How did he know about Sam's tattoo? Why did he have one of his own exactly the same? How could it be a map? What did he mean by liberation? So many questions, and no damn... Stop it, Dak. There was no point in driving herself crazy. She would find no answers here, tonight. Unless... She looked across the darkened hut to her brother's bunk. He was snoring gently. She could tiptoe over and wake him, ask him about the tattoo. She had asked him about it before, many times during their years on the run, and he'd always brushed off her interest, saying he didn't know what it was or even remember how he got it. But Dakota had always suspected he knew more than he was telling her, and now she felt certain of it. It seemed inconceivable that he had been lying to her this whole time, but what other explanation was there? Yet now he would have to tell her the truth. Because if he didn't, Falk would. And if Sam had been keeping secrets from her, he'd want to be the one to come clean, not have some stranger come along and do it for him. But now wasn't the time. As badly as Dakota wanted to talk to him, she couldn't risk doing it here in the barracks, in the dead of night, even at a whisper. Because there was too much risk that someone would overhear and decide to earn themselves a better work assignment or a double ration by passing it along to the mech. She would have to wait. Dakota had never been very good at waiting. At breakfast ration, Dakota took a double dose of the stim drink the mech gave them to keep them alert and active. It tasted foul, and it made her jittery, but she was so tired, and she needed her wits about her today. She hadn't yet spoken to Sam other than to say good morning and help him dress and get ready for the morning head count. There hadn't been an opportunity to talk more, and besides, during the night, she'd made a decision. She wouldn't risk upsetting Sam with what he might take to be an unwarranted accusation. She needed more information first. From Falk. As she walked to the tool shed, she looked for him everywhere, but there was no sign of him, which filled her with dread. Her life, both before and after mech captivity, had trained her to always assume the worst. And in the township, there were so many worse to choose from. What if the mech had put him in the punishment block? He might be there for weeks. What if he was hurt or even dead? The last time she'd seen him, he hadn't even been conscious. Other prisoners had died from jolts that weren't intended to kill. It was rare, but it happened. She found herself looking across to the recycling structure. If anyone had died overnight, there'd be black smoke coming from its two giant chimneys. There was none. But still, what if? And then there he was. She felt her entire body slacken with relief. He was alive, still in her section, 
still with the same assignment, carrying the heavy plastic tank on his back, the water sloshing as he walked. Surely his rounds would allow him to come to her today, to linger long enough to tell her something more about the map on his arm. So for the rest of the day, she kept an eye on him, whenever his rounds took him within her field of vision. Something was different about him today. He wasn't chatty. In fact, he didn't talk to a single worker as he dispensed his water. He just went about his business. And it was then that Dakota realized why. He's already found who he was looking for. Yet, he never made his way over to her, never even so much as looked in her direction. Dakota's impatience grew, and the extra stim drink didn't help. Her frustration and anxiety rose to the point that she was considering excuses to leave her designated area and go talk to him. But finally, while passing by on his rounds, he looked at her, right at her, and gave a conspiratorial nod intended just for her. She froze, and her heart stopped for a moment. Falk got the attention of the nearest observer drone and made the signal to request a bathroom break. A light nestled within the drone's face, really just a cluster of sensors and cameras, turned green, granting him permission. Falk set down his water tank and walked to the lavatory hut, sneaking another glance at Dakota as he went. She understood, and made the same signal to the observer. When she got a green light as well, she hurried over to join him. How did you sleep? He asked as they walked together. I didn't, she replied. Tell me about the map. Can't risk telling you too much yet, he said. You can trust me. It's not a question of trust. You ever been interrogated by the mech? I have. Believe me, you'll tell them whatever they want to know. Look, she said, talking fast now. You can't just come marching in here all mysterious and asking about my brother and then showing me some secret map and talking about liberation, whatever that means, and not expect me to- oh, Okay, slow down, he said. Did you drink too much stim or something? I may have had an extra one. That's not the point. You need to tell me something that makes sense or I'll- Fox stopped. They'd arrived at the lavatory hut, with its different entrances for men and women. They'd have to separate here. He glanced around, kept his voice low. My father was a gundog pilot, like your mother. They both fought at Bismarck, in the last battle. Before they died, they left something for us. Call it an inheritance. The mech drone was floating over toward them. Falk disappeared into the men's lavatory, and Dakota had no choice but to go into the women's, where she took what felt like the longest piss of her life. What do you mean, inheritance? She asked, as they walked back from the lavatory hut together. You mean that map? Yes, I mean that map. What is it? Where does it lead? You'll find out when we get there. That stopped her dead in her tracks. What? Keep walking. Eyes everywhere. She resumed walking, caught up with him. Are you talking about escaping? Because that's impossible. It's not impossible. I've been in six townships before this one. I escaped from them all. That took a moment for Dakota to process. It seemed barely believable. But something about Falk's demeanor, his uncommon confidence, told her it was true. Okay, but you got recaptured every time. That was by design. Each time I escaped, I made my way toward another township, get myself captured close by so they'd put me in that one. Until I found who I was looking for. You mean me? Actually, your brother. But I'm a little worried about him now that I've seen him. Would he be up for this? Seems like he's not. 
all the way there in himself. That hit Dakota hard, because it was true. Sam hadn't been the man she'd once known for a long time now. Still, her first instinct was to defend him, protect him, as she always had. He kept us alive for years when we were on the outside, she insisted. Whenever I felt like I couldn't go on, he was strong enough for us both. That's who he was then, said Falk. Who is he now? I've seen that look in his eyes before, in a lot of folk. In every township I've been in. All the fight gone out of him. If I'm taking you two with me, I need to know that there's fight in you both. In you, there's plenty. I can see that. But can he honestly say the same? If he can't, I can't afford the risk. Dakota hated how right he was. But she couldn't lie, so she changed the subject. Why do you even need us? she asked. It's your map, your plan. Why not just go do whatever the hell this is by yourself? Because when we get where we're going, it's gonna take two of us. I can't do this alone. I had a brother. We were supposed to do this together. But the mech... He didn't need to finish the sentence. Dakota knew how it ended. You have to tell me more than this if I'm going to trust you, she said. They were almost back at Dakota's tool shed and had little time left to talk. Your brother was told everything I was, back when we were kids, said Falk. Why didn't you ask him? If that's true, then why hasn't he ever told me? asked Dakota. Maybe you should ask him that too, said Falk. And then he veered away from her, back to where his water tank was waiting. Dakota walked the rest of the way to the tool shed in a daze, her mind filled with more questions than ever. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. 
The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine. Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Chapter 5 As difficult as it was, Dakota sat on what she had learned for three days and nights without saying anything to Sam. He had even asked her what she and Falk had talked about later that same day. And she had lied, said that they were just chatting. She had so much to say, so many questions, but it wasn't a conversation that could be had quickly, and it wasn't easy to get enough time alone with him. The mech were always watching. The opportunity to talk finally came when it was once again story time in the wreck hut. Their barracks emptied out completely. Word was, the guys with the secret still had cooked up a fresh batch of potato shine and there was enough for everyone. So for the first time in a week, it was just Dakota and Sam alone. He was lying on his bunk, reading an old book when Dakota came and sat beside him. He glanced up at her. What's up? Dakota kept her voice low. No one really knew how sensitive mech audio sensors were. What was that tattoo you used to have on your arm? She asked. He lowered the book. What brought this on? Just answer me. The truth this time, please. He sat up. I already told you the truth. Every time you asked about it. I don't know. I don't remember. Bok says you know. Bok? The new guy? You believe him over me? Actually, yeah, I do, she said. Why? Because he has the exact same tattoo, and he knows exactly what it is. It's a map of some kind, isn't it? There was a pause as Sam took that in. Then he reached up and pinched the bridge of his nose. Shit, he said. The truth, said Dakota. And her tone made it clear to Sam that neither of them were going anywhere until she got it. Okay. Look, he said finally. There's a reason I never told you. My whole life. All I've ever tried to do is keep you safe. And that map only would have put us in danger. Where does it lead? Dakota asked. That was the question she wanted answered more than any other. I honestly don't know. I swear I really do remember very little of this. I was only six years old when Mom gave it to me. Right before she left for the last battle. She said that it led to some place called the Four Faces. Where there might be a way to fight back against the mech. That's all I know. You never did anything? Never said anything? Dakota asked, horrified. Those were Mom's last words to you and you just ignored them? Mom never meant for me to go there alone, said Sam. Dad was supposed to take us there when the time came, but he died not long after he got us out of Bismarck. And then it was just us two kids all alone. What was I supposed to do? Take you on some suicide mission across hundreds of miles of mech territory and do what? Restart a war we'd already lost? No. I put you first. I kept you alive. And I'm not going to apologize for that. If you wanted to put me first, you should have told me the truth, Dakota said. We've never lied to each other. Never. I knew that if I told you, you'd want to go, said Sam. I'd never be able to talk you out of it, and you'd wind up getting yourself killed. You've got too much of mom in you, Dak. 
that's always been your problem. Maybe yours is that you don't have enough, Dakota snapped, and instantly regretted it as she saw in Sam's eyes how much that stung. She lowered her gaze, ashamed. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. It's okay, said Sam. Maybe you're right about that. Even at my best, I never had the same fire in me that you did. And I haven't been my best for a long time. There was a long moment of silence before Dakota spoke again. Fox says he knows how to get out of here. He wants to take you and me with him. Sam eyed her skeptically. He said that? He wants to take us both, not just you. He'd have to take us both, Sam. There's no way I'd go without you. Sam gave that some thought, and when he finally spoke, he sounded unusually certain. No. That's exactly what you should do. Don't even say that, said Dakota. No matter what, it's you and me. It's always been that way, and it always will be. If we both go, and we both make it out of here, it'll be just like it used to be. Making our way together. Sam shook his head. You said it yourself, Dak. We can't live in the past. There's nothing for us back there. I'm a cripple. I'd only slow you down. And I just don't have it in me anymore. I spend it all already. He reached up and touched the side of her face. I want you to go. For both of us. Dakota felt tears forming in her eyes. She gripped his hand. I don't think I can. I know you can, said Sam. You've always been the stronger one, even when you didn't know it. And now that you know the truth, that maybe there's something out there to find, you're never going to be able to stay here. It'll eat away at you, a little more every day, until you wind up like me. I won't let that happen. I couldn't bear to watch it. It'd be the end of me too, Dak. Look at me. She looked at him. I'm sorry I never told you the truth, he said. But maybe this is how I make it right. I'm asking you to go. Please. Do it for me. Go with Falk, to the Four Faces, and whatever it is that Mom left for us there. And when you find it, come back here and smash these mech motherfuckers into junk. Promise me you'll do that. Dakota was crying now and found it difficult to speak. But she managed the only words she needed. I promise. Chapter 6 Over the next three weeks, Dakota stole every moment she could with Falk to plan their escape and what would come after. He managed to get himself transferred to a labor detail that required him to check tools in and out from Dakota's shed regularly. They took their lavatory breaks together as many times as they felt they could without alerting the mech's observers. Too many times, and the algorithm would detect a suspicious behavior pattern and intervene. They also attended story time in the rec hut, the longest stretch of social time they were allowed. They sat in seclusion near the back of the room, where they ignored the stories being told at the hearth and made up one of their own. A story they hoped would end with them finding the four faces and the secret that had been left for them there twenty years ago. Neither of them had any idea what the secret might be, nor how it could possibly ignite a new war against an enemy that had already conquered humanity so utterly once before. All they knew was they had to try, 
To do any less would be to dishonor the memory of their parents, who had died fighting for their freedom. Falk taught Dakota how to read the map on his arm, which was actually two maps overlaid atop one another. The dots represented stars, which Dakota hadn't seen in years because of the mech tower lights that blazed all night long. The lines and other symbols were landmarks, rivers, mountains, what remained of roads. By aligning the stars with the landmarks, it was possible to navigate a path to the four faces, which Falk explained was not marked on the map. You just had to keep following the path and you'd know it when you saw it. That was how his father had explained it to him. But first, they had to get outside the perimeter. Dakota had always thought it impossible, though over the years she'd seen no shortage of workers desperate enough to try. Most simply fled through the gates when they opened to admit a transport. Few of them made it even fifty meters before being vaporized by a mech enforcer or tower gun. Some tried to stow away aboard the transports themselves, but the mech sensors always detected them. The closest anyone had ever come to escape was the man who scaled the fence during a freak power outage that rendered the mech's perimeter defenses inert. He was gone the whole night, and many in the township were just beginning to believe he might actually have made it until, just after the morning alarm, his body was dragged back by a mech search party and taken to the recycling structure. It would have been easier for the mech to leave the body where it fell, but Dakota figured their algorithm told them it was better to bring it back to the township for all to see as an example. If true, they calculated correctly. That was three years ago and no one had tried to escape since. Until now. Falk claimed to know a particular flaw that existed in the design of each township perimeter. There was a gap, about two meters wide, where the coverage areas of the closest mech sensor stations were supposed to overlap, but didn't. And due to some tiny quirk in their programming, the sensors had failed to recognize the error. If you knew exactly where to stand, Falk said, you were invisible. He had spent the final few days of his water carrier detail surveying as much of the perimeter as he could, and believed he had found this township's blind spot. He had even tested it by standing at the spot by the fence for a full two minutes. Not once did a mech come by to move him along. That was where they would get out. Dakota's toolshed detail proved to be invaluable, for there was much in there that they could use. As long as she marked an item as checked in at the end of the workday, it wouldn't be missed until the following morning, and by then, she and Falk would be long gone. Or at least, that was the plan. The first step in that plan, getting out of their locked barracks at night, was the easiest part. Dakota had once been assigned to repair a damaged lock on another hut's window shutter, and discovered that the mechanism slid open and closed via a surprisingly low-tech electromagnet. The lock wasn't even alarmed. For an alien race that had conquered all of humanity, the mech were sometimes surprisingly sloppy when it came to details. So Dakota had palmed a small magnet, a battery, and some wiring from the township factory, and improvised a device that could slide the bolt open from the inside. This was all back during her first years in captivity, when she still gave serious thought to her and Sam escaping. Though the device worked, she never used it, because the window shutter was the easy part. The mech sensor stations around the perimeter pick up on everything, Falk explained to her one night during story time, the last one they'd have together before their planned escape attempt. Motion, 
sound, even your heartbeat. But the drones that patrol the interior at night only track thermal output. Isn't that enough? Dakota asked. We can't stop our bodies from generating heat. It was amazing, she thought, how close she and Falk had become during the past few weeks, and how much she now trusted him. Every experience in her life had taught her to trust no one, except Sam, of course. In their years on the run, every now and then they'd forget that lesson, and they would trust some kind soul they'd encountered. They were betrayed every time, held at gunpoint for their food and supplies, or sold out to the mech by those looking to save their own miserable hides. Every one of those betrayals hammered the point home, until Dakota had found it almost impossible to put her faith in anyone. And yet, here she was, risking everything on a man she'd known for less than a month. Maybe it was the promise of finding some kind of connection with the parents she had never known that had made her lower her defenses. Maybe it was because he was as careful and as guarded as she was. Or maybe it was his eyes, the way he looked at her. She allowed herself to entertain that last thought for only a moment before batting it away. Don't be ridiculous. How close is your wash hut to your barracks? Falk asked, and Dakota had to bring herself back to the conversation. Remember where she was. Something about body heat? It's close, she said. Two huts over. The wash huts, where workers cleaned up at the end of the day, were just big communal showers. As the township fixer, Dakota had spent a lot of time in them over the years, because even the mech hadn't come up with a reliable way to avoid plumbing problems. Something was always leaking, or blocked, or the water was freezing or scolding hot. Mine's the next hut over, said Falk. That's good. All we need to do is time our runs from the barracks to the wash hut to avoid whatever drones patrolling between them. And then what? Dakota asked. How is the wash hut going to help us? To be invisible to the thermal sensors, all we have to do is drop our core body temperature, Bach explained. So we're going to stand under freezing cold showers for at least five minutes before we make a run for the blind spot. But we have to move fast. The effect will only last a minute or two before our bodies heat back up. She stared at him. Are you kidding me with this? Do you want to get out of here or not? You'll freeze to death said Dakota. Do you know how cold it gets out here at night? I do, said Falk. I've done this before. Look, it's not going to be pleasant, but it's the only way. Unless you know a better one. She didn't. Chapter 7 Exactly forty days after Falk first arrived in the township, he and Dakota attempted their escape. Everything they'd have to do to get from their barracks to the fence and beyond was planned out in precise detail. If something went wrong, it wouldn't be for want of preparation. The hardest part, as Dakota had feared, was saying goodbye to Sam. They kept it short, as they both knew the longer they spent, the more agonizing it would be. She was reminded of the time she dislocated her shoulder tumbling down a rocky hillside while running to evade a mech patrol, and Sam had had to pop it back in. It hurt so much Dakota wouldn't allow him to touch her. So fearful was she of the pain of resetting the joint. He told her then, The quicker we do this, the less it will hurt. You're strong. You can do this. Don't be afraid. 
He told her the same thing now. One last gentle kiss on her forehead before they both retired to their bunks, Dakota trying not to cry. She had to keep a clear head, because this night, more than any other in her entire life, she would need all her wits about her. It had been difficult to work out how to synchronize the escape with Falk, as he was in a different barracks and there were no clocks, no way to gauge the passing of time, save for the movement of the sun in the sky and the various mech alarms. And after lights out, there was no sun and no alarms. This wasn't a challenge Falk had been forced to deal with before, since all of his previous escapes had been on his own. But Dakota had an idea. About an hour after sundown, the mech tower lights would blaze from partial to full brightness. And every time they did this, they made a sound. A kind of mechanical kerchunk. For the past few nights, Dakota and Falk had stayed awake in their bunks listening for it, to make sure they could both hear it. That was the sound that would allow them to synchronize. Dakota now stared at the wooden slats on the ceiling above her bunk, waiting for that sound. She was trembling, adrenaline coursing through her body like she hadn't felt it since her days as a child, hiding from mech scouts. Life in the township had been miserable, boring, deadening, but not dangerous. At least, not in the physical sense. If you knew the rules, and abided by them, there was little chance of anything happening to you other than the occasional jolt, or possibly a work injury. After years of just barely clawing for survival on the outside, Dakota found it strange to realize that this moment, tonight, was the first time her life would actually be at risk since she and Sam had arrived here six years ago. And it certainly was at risk. So much could go wrong. What if her makeshift electromagnets, she'd scrounge the parts to make new ones for both her and Falk, failed to open the window shutters? What if she mistimed the drone patrol route past her hut and was spotted? What if this shower trick of Falk's didn't work? What if the blind spot in the perimeter wasn't exactly where he thought it was? What if, what if, what if, what... Kerchunk. There it was. The telltale sound as the mech tower lights switched to full illumination. That was the one downside to this stage of their plan. The bright light that would unavoidably flood in when she opened the shutters could alert someone else in her barracks who might then raise the alarm in hopes of being rewarded by the mech with an extra ration or easier work detail. But there was nothing she could do about that, except hope for the best. Bach would already be up and moving, counting on her to do the same. She retrieved her electromagnet from inside the stuffing of her pillow and silently swung her legs off the bunk. The floorboards in her barracks tended to creak, but not in the area around her bed, one small blessing. As quietly and as carefully as she could, she crept to the nearest window. She lifted the magnet up to the spot where she knew the locking bolt was and moved it from left to right. It took two tries before she heard the bolt on the other side slide open. Then she waited for the sound of the mech patrol drone outside. If the mech followed a predictable pattern, and they were nothing if not predictable, then once it came and went, she'd have twenty seconds before it came this way again. She heard the mech coming, and then going. She had to move now. She pushed open the shutter, feeling a wave of relief when it didn't creak, and in one nimble move, she vaulted over the ledge into the starkly lit compound, her boots crunching on the dirt. Quickly, she reclosed the shutter, slid the locking bolt shut, 
and tossed the magnet into the crawl space beneath the hut. And then she ran. Her wash hut was only two buildings over, but that short sprint across open ground, fully exposed, heart-pounding, felt like an eternity. She made it to the wash hut and slipped inside. It wasn't locked and had no windows, leaving it pitch black inside. But over the past several days, Dakota had counted the steps and turns from the hut entrance to the showers. Walking blind, she followed the mental map she'd made, and was relieved when she'd reached out and felt the metal water valves on the tile wall. She turned the cold valve on full, wondering if mech security would detect the anomalous activity in the plumbing system in the middle of the night and send a drone to investigate. Falk had assured her they wouldn't, and she trusted him. But right now, in the moment, all she could think about was what could still go wrong. She tested the temperature with her hand. It was about as cold as water could get without turning to ice, then braced herself and stepped, fully clothed, beneath the showerhead. The water hit her like a thousand ice-cold needles, and it was all she could do not to shriek. It was worse than she'd feared, and Falk had told her to fear the worst. She started counting. Falk had taught her how to do an accurate five-minute count using the trick he'd learned. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, all the way to sixty. And you did that five times over. Dakota had no idea what Mississippi meant, but she found that reciting it over and over helped keep her mind off the agony of slowly freezing to death. By the time she hit sixty Mississippi for the fifth time, she was chilled to the bone, feeling numb in her extremities and shaking like a leaf. She was barely able to command her trembling fingers to turn the water off. She took short, shallow, gasping breaths as she shuffled her way back through the darkness to the door. When she opened it, the cold air on her sopping wet skin hit her like another sheet of ice. But she stepped outside, squinting her dark-adapted eyes against the bright lights of the mech towers, and made her way down the hut's steps. Until a familiar sound brought her to a dead stop. The sound of a mech drone. She looked behind her to see it floating toward her from no more than ten meters away. She was too terrified to run, for all the good running would have done her, and found herself instead thinking, in her final moments, how miraculous it was that she had even made it this far, but that at least she'd had the courage to try. That she would die on her feet, and not on her knees. She stiffened, straightening her back. Okay, you mech piece of shit, let's get this over with. And by the way, on behalf of the entire human race, go fuck yourself. She closed her eyes as the mech drew within kill distance. And then simply floated right on past her, continuing its patrol like she wasn't even there. Falk had been right. With her lowered body temperature, it hadn't registered her presence at all. This could actually work. She darted off towards the arranged rendezvous point, still marveling at her close encounter and arrived at the northeast corner of the maintenance building, the closest structure to the blind spot. She was so goddamn cold. And as she stood there, staring at the floodlit fence line a hundred meters away, shivering like she'd never feel warm again, only one thought went through her mind. Where is Falk? For her, everything had gone exactly as planned, but it had to go well for both of them or it was all for nothing. She couldn't possibly do this alone. Only Falk knew precisely where the blind spot was. Only Falk had the map. She found herself contemplating how stupid this whole idea was, 
leaving her beloved brother behind to follow a man she barely knew based on a promise and a tattoo, and wondered now if she still had time to make it back to her barracks and slip back inside, pretend none of this had ever... You made it. She whipped around to find Fox standing right there behind her, his coveralls soaked through, his body shuddering with cold. Any trouble? he asked. If there was, I wouldn't be here, she said. Good point. Dumb question. You ready? She nodded. It was far too late to back out now. Stay close to me. Remember, the blind spot's barely two meters wide. You have to stay right next to me or we're both dead, do you understand? Yeah, on me, he said. And he ran, sprinting like a jackrabbit for the perimeter fence. Dakota had to race to keep up. Twenty seconds later, Falk was sliding into the dirt at the fence, and Dakota arrived right behind him. The spot he'd chosen looked entirely nondescript, just another stretch of endless chain link like any other. But if Falk was right, this was their way out. That run heated us up, so we got maybe thirty more seconds before those drones know we're here, Falk said. Work fast. Dakota pulled a pair of wire cutters from her coveralls, another prize from the tool shed, and started snipping away at the chain link. She could barely believe this was happening. Not only were they right up against the fence, where no one was ever permitted to go, they were also directly beneath a mech light tower, with drones patrolling not twenty meters away. Every alarm in the township should be sounding. They should already be dead. And yet... Work faster, Falk urged, sounding anxious. Dakota was already going as fast as she could, but her hands were still trembling and unresponsive from the cold and more than once it took her a couple of tries to get the wire cutters to bite down on the metal links. But a few moments later, she'd cut enough to push a flap of fence aside, just enough for her to crawl through, and then Falk behind her. Go, he said, run! And together they ran. Leaving the bright lights of the township behind, they slipped away into the dark of night, neither one of them aware that the whole time they were being watched. Chapter 8 They moved quickly that first night, as they knew that within minutes of morning alarm, just hours from now, when they failed to appear for headcount, the manhunt would begin. Fast-moving surveyors would be dispatched from across the entire surrounding area to hunt them. Satellites in orbit would be tasked with scanning the surface for them. Every asset the enemy had in this region would be brought together in common purpose, finding and recapturing the escapees. And, unlike humans, the mech never tired, never slowed, never quit. The harsh truth was, even after the miracle of their escape, Dakota and Fox's chances of staying at large for very long were marginal at best. And yet, Dakota felt as though she had left all of her concerns behind her. They were free, and her fears and doubts faded along with the township lights, receding into the darkness behind them. Just being outside the fence was endlessly exhilarating. The night air was drying her clothes and hair as she ran, and the blood and adrenaline rushing through her body warmed her more by the moment. She had no idea where she was. When she and Sam were first brought to the township, it was in a windowless mech transport. They had been captured near some place called Idaho, but the transport was fast and had traveled for hours, so the township might have been anywhere. All she knew was that right now, they were moving through a forest. Leaves crunched underfoot as they ran, tree branches whipped and scratched at their faces. 
and a few times Dakota stumbled and nearly fell as her foot caught on a tangled root or a rock. After what felt like about an hour of ceaseless running, Falk motioned for them to stop in a clearing. We should rest here for a bit, he said, his hands on his knees as he bent forward to catch his breath. Dakota slumped down on the wet grass and collapsed onto her back, her heart pounding so hard the sound of it throbbed in her ears. And then her eyes widened in astonishment. She was looking straight up at the sky. And there, above the treetops waving gently in the wind, was something she hadn't seen since she was a child. Stars. At first she didn't believe it. She thought this must be some sort of illusion, an old memory summoned up by her fatigued mind. But as she gazed upward at the countless shimmering pinpoints of light, she knew this was no trick of the mind. Just a sight denied to her by her mech captors for so long that she barely could conceive of it as real anymore. She laughed quietly to herself. For that one perfect moment, she was overwhelmed with joy. And all her time in the township, every dismal memory, every sorrow, was momentarily wiped away. It was just her, and the infinite above. Her reverie was short-lived. Falk rose and stood over her. That's enough rest, he said. Time to move. The forest grew thicker as they went on. It made for slower going, but as Falk pointed out, it was preferable to moving over open ground, where mech surveyors and satellites could more easily spot them from the air. What were you laughing about back there? He asked, as they moved together side by side. They were no longer running, as neither was able to keep up that kind of pace the whole night, but walking briskly. The pale light of the moon shafted through the trees, affording them enough visibility to keep from losing their footing and to see each other. Oh, nothing, she said. Just the stars in the sky. It's been such a long time since I've seen them I'd almost forgotten what they'd look like. They look kind of like freedom, huh? asked Falk. And Dakota looked at him amazed that he saw them exactly the same way as she did. Perhaps it shouldn't be that surprising. He'd been in and out of townships for years, so he would know more than most the difference between the antiseptic glare of a mech night sky and the clear, ink-black beauty of a natural one. My brother told me once that every star up there in the sky is a sun just like ours, he said. They're just so far away that all we see of them is that little pinprick of light. Some of them even have planets that go around them, just like this one. Dakota looked up at the sky again. The stars were less visible here through the treetop canopy, but she could still see some. I wonder which one of them the mech came from, she wondered aloud. Well, whichever one it is, said Falk, quickening his pace. We're gonna send them the fuck back there. The forest started to thin out just as the first light of day was breaking on the horizon to the east. That was a bad combination. Less cover, and less darkness to hide in. Falk pointed that out, but Dakota didn't need it explained to her. She knew all this and more from her years in the open with Sam. She knew every way to hide, every way they might be exposed, every way the mech could find them if they forgot themselves, even for a moment, and did something stupid to give themselves away. But the real danger Daybreak signified, they both knew, was that morning alarm back at the township would have sounded by now, 
which meant their absence had been discovered, and the mech's search for them had begun. When you escaped before, she asked Falk as they walked together, how hard did the mech come looking for you? It's always pretty bad at first, he replied. These next couple of days will be the toughest. But if we can make it through those, it should start to get easier. The algorithm's all about efficiency. If the mech can't find us right away, they'll start to recalculate. And eventually, they'll figure a couple of township workers aren't worth so many resources that could be better tasked elsewhere. Things will slowly go back to normal. Back to normal, Dakota thought. So just the normal amount of hiding in terror from the normal number of mech surveyors that normally roamed the open world looking for humans to capture or kill. But then, maybe normal wasn't so bad. She and Sam had survived that kind of normal for years before they were caught. This time, they only had to last as long as it would take to reach whatever the hell Fox map was leading them to. Still, her doubts were starting to return, dawning on her like the rising sun. What do you mean when you say the mech can be better tasked elsewhere? she asked. What else is there for them to do anymore other than keep us locked up? The war's long over. If you really believe that, you'd be back at your tool shed right now, not risking your life with me, said Falk. There are still some humans out there in the world, you know. Some of them are still fighting. Really? Dakota was genuinely astonished to learn that. It seemed beyond belief. Twenty years after the fall of the last city. I mean, fewer and fewer every day, but yeah, said Falk. I fell in with a few of them over the years. Just small groups, guerrilla fighters, hit-and-hide tactics. Sometimes they'll manage to take out a rover or a surveyor or even a transport. Barely makes a dent in the big picture, but still. They do whatever they can. He looked east, towards the sun. That's the one thing the mech will never understand about humans. We never really know when we're beaten. Maybe that's how we'll win in the end. Gundog was created and written by Gary Witta and performed by Shannon Woodward. Music by Austin Wintery, edited by David Gatewood. Sound editing by Adam Nickerson. Video editing by Chandana Ekanayaka.